Good morning, good morning, good morning. Welcome to Tea and Testimony, where we be spilling tea on real life situations to help overcome our past and become the best version of ourselves. Before we get into anything, I really want to give a shout out and a thanks to everybody that tunes in. I am so grateful for all my listeners. More than you will ever know, honestly. So, yes, hats off and big kudos to y'all. I really, really appreciate y'all. Last week, we were talking about being intentional. Being intentional with our thoughts, our speech, even our daily habits. And if you've been following me all year... Shoot, if you've been following me for all three seasons, that's literally 98% of what we talk about (laughs) is bettering yourself in multiple different ways. This week, I'm actually not coming to y'all to talk about bettering ourselves. I want to give you more background into who I am and why I do these podcasts, why I think self-betterment is so important. Yeah. So, yeah, let's get into the thick of it. (laughs) Now, if you know me, you know that I really keep everything surface. Um, There's only a few people who can really say that they know me in depth, you know, not not a lot of people can say they know the deeper side of me. Even people who have known or known of me for years. There's just certain things that I just do not elaborate on. And a lot of those things are basically my childhood. If I'm just being totally transparent. I rarely speak on my childhood. Um just because honestly it was not all that if i could describe my childhood in one word i would probably use the word atrocious (laughs) like my my childhood was definitely extremely disturbing even the way i was conceived when um when my mother was pregnant with me she hid that pregnancy for eight months by the time my grandma knew that my mom was pregnant she had 30 days (laughs) to prepare for my arrival and my mom was 17 when she had me so could you imagine as a parent of a teenager not knowing or suspecting anything and then boom right before it's time to really get to work you find out you got a whole nother mouth to feed and take care of but that was just the very beginning you know i i will mention the overall picture of my childhood because it really the things that i had to overcome the things i endured really made me who I am today and not always in the best of ways and so it's definitely a driving force for me 
um, to speak on a lot of the things that I've overcome and are overcoming still. Because for me, there was an immense feeling of isolation. And I have the understanding that there's so many people on the face of this earth. There's a lot of people who can identify with some, if not all of the things that I've endured. And the thing about it is I got to where I'm at now, healing, happy. I'm not all the way where I want to be, but I damn sure ain't where I used to be. Um, I broke free of a lot of things that were holding me down because A, I had a relationship with God, have a relationship with God, and B, I have this undying determination. Like, even when I was at my worst, even when I was in those moments when I was suicidal, it just didn't feel right. It didn't feel right. It, it, it wasn't something that ever settled with me. And I just think that this fight, this fire that I have that just will not go out, I definitely attribute that to God. He designed me for a purpose, regardless of what my beginnings were, regardless of what my parents did or didn't do. Um, I was not planned at all, but God definitely has a plan for my life. And I know a lot of people may be able to identify with that. And that's really why I want to speak to where I come from and how I was brought up and some of the things that I went through, you know? Um, so like I said before, when my grandmother found out about me, my mom was eight months pregnant. And my grandmother and her sister, my great aunt Glenda, rest in peace to both of them, um, they lived together. They had moved to Cincinnati, Ohio from New Orleans, Louisiana, and they were relocated here after my great grandmother had passed away. My uncle Emil, rest in peace to him too. He lived in Indiana at the time with his wife, Pam, and his um, daughters, Jennifer and um, Ashley. And so when um, he sent for my aunt and my grandmother to come up here, my mom or my grandmother, she only had my mom. So my mom was the only child growing up. But my great aunt had seven kids and they lived together. So my aunt and her kids, my grandma and her child, they all lived together in one house. So when I was born, that's the same house that I got brought to. Um, this beautiful big old house on Rockdale. Shout out to Avondale. <laughs> but um, it was interesting. Um, now, of course, I don't remember a lot from that specific time period, but I have been able to do some of the research and, you know, have the conversations that needed to be had to gain the knowledge. Um, my father and my mother were not a couple that like <laughs> they were not a couple. My grandma always used to tell the joke. I sent her to the grocery store for a loaf of bread and she came back with you. And that's literally that was the joke for years. Like, I was supposed to be a loaf of bread 
instead was a child. <laughs> but um, I, I got the story from my father's perspective. My mom just randomly came up to him, you know, shot her little shot. And apparently dunked that stuff because they was at my great grandmother's house on my father's side, conceiving me on her couch. So, lust, hormones, is how I got here. <laughs> and then um, when I was actually born, my father was not around. I would say for the first three to five years of my life. Um, and from his perspective, he just didn't know. Um, when talks about my mom being pregnant arose, he was told by my mother that um, I was conceived because my mother's father raped her. And that was a lie. We had to, you know, of course, go to paternity court and it just, discovered that my father is my father. I was not born in or conceived in some horrific rape incident. Um, but it just kind of, I feel like looking back, those things set the tone for the type of life I would come into. Um, a lot of secrets, a lot of chaos. Um, and that's literally what my childhood was. Um, my grandma, she did not allow me to move with my mother when um, I was, when my mom first moved out. Uh, she held on to me for a little while longer. But when my mom was allowed to come take me to live with her, um, I would just say that was the beginning of the bull crap, the BS. Um, she was dating a guy named Tony at the time. My mom was. And I remember my grandmother telling me this story of how she was walking to Walgreens and she saw me in the back of the car and she came and snatched me out because apparently Tony was whooping my ass. <laughs> um, and it's not funny, but I will laugh at certain things because honey sometimes you gotta laugh to keep from crying but he was he was hitting on me and I was only three years old and so my grandmother definitely checked that and took me out of that situation but the problem was that was only temporary I had to go back to the person who legally is responsible for me which is my mom um she ended up getting out of that relationship. Uh, when I was five, she met the father of my two middle sisters. Um, and there's, my mom has six girls all together. So um, she met the father of the two middle sisters. Uh, and when uh, that relationship was going on, there was a lot of physical abuse, verbal abuse, emotional abuse. Like, he was the type of man to get drunk and fight. And there were a few incidences where, like, they had 
I'm not going to put her business all the way out there. But they had an argument when I was five. And the apartment complex that we were staying in, my grandmother and my cousins were also staying in a different building within that complex. And so one night, him and her have an argument. And she runs out of the house, half naked, to my grandmother's house. But when she ran out the house, she didn't take me with her. And he used that to his advantage and basically had me held hostage up in that apartment until, um, you know, my godfather, a.k.a. my cousin, came through and kicked the door in. And it was just a lot of different situations like that. It was a lot. So there was before I got to adolescence, there was just a lot of domestic violence. Um, So much so that one of my mom's friends, she was a social worker at the time. And I remember really liking Miss Tanya. Um, But the theme that I would grow to learn is that my mother's friends could only be her friends as long as they don't dig too deep or throw any truth at her. Um, my mom does not like to be confronted or be told that she's wrong. Um, and that was also an issue within my childhood because on the surface, everybody, everybody thought my mother's, and some some people still do, think my mom is Mother Teresa. She is just the saint of them all. She could do no wrong. The reality And especially being the oldest child, the reality really was, is that was a facade. Um, You don't really know confusion until you have to live day in and day out with a a real life Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde. And I hate that that's even a true statement to say, but it is definitely something that is true. As as horrific as it may seem, it is true, um, even to this day. Like, my, my mom, she will not admit any wrongs. She has no flaws, no faults. She even dubs herself God's favorite. And, honey, I've never heard nothing more blasphemous in my life. Um, and, I, and I say blasphemous because I know how she really living. You know what I'm saying? I've seen the things that she's really done to people. Um, and more so... <laughs> I know what she has done to her children, all of us. So, you know, just coming up in a lot of chaos. Um, When I turned nine years old, my sister's father, he molested me. Um, She left him within two years, remarried another man, who she met off the internet and he molested and raped me at 12 and I spent my entire teenage years trying to really understand what happened to me why it happened to me and how to even begin to heal and what I will tell you is this honey healing is hard when no one is willing to acknowledge your pain, when no one thinks that there's anything to heal from, it definitely 
messes with your self-worth. It messes with your ability to really believe in yourself. It makes you consider if those things were justified in being done with you. And I just really, now that I'm on the outside of that, it hurts my heart to think that anybody, whether I know you or not, it just hurts my heart to think that anybody would feel or think those things about themselves because they're being mishandled or the people who are responsible for caring for them are not caring for them, you know? And then with my dad, he was always around, but my mom definitely was the type of mother to play pawn with her kids. So because my father um, could buy and get me certain things, I wasn't allowed to really be around him like that because he wasn't willing to provide that for the other kids that my mom had that weren't biologically his. You know, and, you know, that that just created a whole lot of mess. And then um, you add on the things I did to myself throughout the process of trying to heal, trying to navigate. And I think what was so hard for me is because it was always somebody unsuspected who would let me down or who would put me in a position that I had no business being in. So, for instance, I would never have expected my own mother to put me in positions where I would have to fend for myself before I even knew what fending for self was, you know? And then her, my stepfather, I would have never suspected that he would defile me, but yet here we were in a position being defiled. Even moving forward, I definitely didn't expect her second husband, a.k.a. Pastor Garrett, to be a child molester or rapist, and yet here we were, in positions that I had no business being in by the hands of people who should have been more responsible. And if you've ever been through anything that was horrific, that wasn't your fault, it was out of your control, you are often left feeling like, what the fuck? Pardon my French, but I had to say how I felt it. What the hell is this? You know? So I spent a lot of my teen years in and out of therapy. I think from the time I was 12 until I was 17, I had went through five therapists. I had a therapist, a new one, every year. <laughs> and it just got to the point where I gave up. I gave up. Um, not saying that therapy does not work. That is not the message I'm trying to send across with that. But finding a therapist that works for you is no different than you finding uh, someone to date. You have to be comfortable with that person and you have to feel they need to make you feel like they have your best interest at heart and I had this one therapist I thought she was really great but it would be the abrupt cutoff like she would bring me into my emotions so heavy y'all only to when that hour was up 
Oh, okay. Well, we'll discuss the rest of this at next week's session. When I tell you that was the biggest letdown, <laughs> I just got to the point where I was tired. I was tired. I was tired. Even my mom could tell I was tired. She was like, I don't like bringing you to these appointments. Um, you don't really have any, like, you just look like the life has been sucked out of you. And it has. It has been, you know. I remember going through a period when, uh, because after I was molested and raped the second time, I was promised by my mom that there would be no more men living in the house with us. This was when I was, what, 12? Come 14, 15? She's now with... (laughs) She's now dating the guy who would end up being the father of her last two children. And... um, The issue with that was he was another preacher in the church, black, heavyset, just like the man before. And I felt like nobody cared about me, about what I had been through. Nobody cared. Why would you put your child who was just molested and raped by a preacher in another predicament to have to relearn a new man that's a preacher that has similar features to the last man that you had in here that defiled her. I couldn't understand that. And even when I was in therapy, my mother said things, because, you know, sometimes they would have us in therapy together. I specifically, and I think this is when I checked out with her on a permanent level. Um, One of the therapy session she told our my therapist that she missed her husband the husband who raped and molested your daughter you miss him because technically that was still your husband and just the way she acted throughout that whole process let me know that there was some sort of disconnect or disdain for me from her um When I was in the hospital getting the rape kit done, I remember screaming because, mind you, I was 12. I hadn't had a cycle yet, so there was never a reason for me to be in the doctors getting a pap smear. And, you know, so that was my first interaction like that. And so I was screaming. I was crying. My cousin Shout out to Tamara. I love you always. Um, She came in and she held my hand. She was asking questions. She was very proactive in the way that I thought my mother would have been. Meanwhile, my mom's sitting out in the waiting room on the phone. He he ended up with one of her friends. And so there was that disconnect. And I didn't know if, because my mom and my grandmother had a bad relationship with one another. So I didn't know if the disconnect with me was jealousy because my grandmother was affectionate with me whereas she wasn't affectionate with my mom or if there was just some sort of resentment because you have a kid with somebody who you're not with you are responsible for you know I I didn't know where the disconnect came from as to why she felt 
it was necessary to not give me her best as a mother. Um, and we can say that we don't give what we don't receive all day. But I, since becoming a mother, have proven that that is just hogwash. You could be whatever you want to be. It's all about applying yourself and going through with what's necessary to get to the goal you deem necessary for yourself. And as a mother, the way I love my child, I could never play with her the way I was played with. I would never mistreat her the way I was mistreated. I would never dismiss her in the manner that I was dismissed. And this is why I will always tell people I do not advocate for teen pregnancy. Because you're not a, you're not in a position to sustain even yourself. Why be responsible for sustaining someone else? And I will never advocate for people to just have babies just because. No, if you know that you're not going to treat that child with the highest level of care, love, and all of that good stuff... Leave them where they at in heaven. Leave them right where they at in heaven. Don't even take on the task. Don't even take on the task. And so for me, having those different things happen throughout my childhood, it was just a lot. And that's just some of it. I Listen, I probably should write a book. But, you know, it'll be a lot if I did. And I'm going to tell you this. I think the reason I have yet to really put pen to paper on a lot of things that I've gone through is because if I start really speaking in detail on what all I have went through, there's going to be a lot of people exposed for their failures. A lot of people exposed for their bad ways. And for faces that they don't want other people to see about them. Okay. So, you know, I guess you could say in a way I am protecting those people. But quite honestly, I don't think I am. I just really feel tired. Um, When I was in therapy, of course, you have to relive and retell and speak on all the horrific crap you've been through. And at this point, I've repeated my story so many times that I just don't have any more energy for it, if I'm going to be quite honest with you. I definitely went down every road you could think as far as self-healing. I was angry for a long, long time. Angry. And when I say angry, I mean like, you never know. Like my re- <laughs> one of my nicknames used to be popcorn. I'd be cool one minute, I'd be hot the next. Like just blow up out of nowhere. And that was not those weren't good years for me. Being angry takes energy away from you doing a lot of things. And then if anything, it just adds on to the depression. You may feel angry on the front end about some stuff. But let me tell you, when you get quiet enough, that anger converts over to depression. That anger converts over to disappointment. And it will make you feel a type of way. 
I promise you. Um, I've drank my pain away. I've smoked until you can't smoke no more. I've tried to distract myself with sex. I have literally done everything to not think about what has happened to me, where I come from, stuff like that. And then it is so true that God will give you exactly what you need when you need it. When I got pregnant with my daughter, that was the turning point for me in my life. Knowing that I would physically have to be responsible for another life got me to a point where I was like, okay, nothing that you have done up to this point is working for you. You need to get in God's face. Now, mind you, I had grew up in church. So it was hard for me to turn to church when I was going through all of this because, A, there was a whole little turmoil situation going on within the church that I had grew up in and my mom and it it was just a whole issue with that that was one situation second situation is I was violated by someone in the church like even though I believed in God I had no desire to mingle with any of quote unquote God's people I had no desire because those were the same people who had defiled me and violated me in ways that I never would have thought imaginable by those people. You know how they say, uh, what's the saying? I'd expect that from somebody on the street, but not from somebody that was considered family, you know? And that's just really how it was with a lot of the stuff that I went through. And, you know, I think I, I definitely went through a period um, where I was not just mad with my mom, but I was also mad at my dad, if I could be transparent. Um, I just felt like after what had happened to me, he would have swooped in and been like, you know what, I'm taking her. I thought he was going to free me of all the turmoil that my mom was causing me. And only to realize that he had his own obligations, responsibilities, and other kids. It just felt like a disappointment. Um, On both sides, I just felt like I didn't belong. My mom clearly didn't want me. My dad clearly don't got space for me. I did end up, um, my mom kicked me out at 17. And I think that's the thing for her. She kicks all her kids out at 17 or earlier. But uh, <laughs> me and the second sister, we definitely both got the boot at 17. And for me, I ended up at my dad's house then at that point. But I felt like all the damage was already done. You know, I didn't I didn't been kicked down, abused, messed up, torn up, all of this stuff. And now here after she's finally done, now I get to have time with you. And then... <laughs> Going going to live with my dad at 17 was very awkward. I knew my dad loved me. I knew my stepmom loved me. I knew my siblings loved me. But what was awkward is trying to fit into a family that I didn't grow up with. A family that I didn't see as often as I maybe should have seen growing up. So it was like I was good because we're related. 
but I wasn't good. There was no familiarity. And even to this day, there's still a disconnect with me and my father's side. And I really just think it stems from the fact that I didn't grow up with these people. And I've never 100% felt like I belong or was welcome, you know. And that could be just the way my mom made me feel and... I'm pushing it off on the side of my father, too. But it was just always something that was just really real and raw for me. Um, Outside of the things that I went through in my childhood, there were definitely just decisions that I made um, that didn't contribute to my well-being either. And one of them was becoming overweight. I was not always overweight, but after the rape, I knew for certain and for sure I didn't want nobody else trying me. I didn't want nobody touching me. I didn't want nobody doing anything to me that I didn't want done. And I felt like the only way to protect myself was to gain weight. Um, When I was coming up, I didn't see big people getting touched on. I didn't see big people being messed with. I didn't see big people having um, to go through struggles and turmoils around being violated or whatever the case is. Now, I know as an adult that that's not true. But you have to keep in mind, I was a child going through a lot of this. So the perspective I had as a child was I'm going to get big because once I get big, ain't nobody going to mess with me. Ain't nobody going to look at me. I thought I could make myself unattractive and untouchable if I just blew myself up. And that couldn't have been further from the truth. (laughs) And so, like, when I get on here every week and I talk to y'all about bettering y'allself, it's not because I'm just pulling shit out the clouds to to talk to y'all about it's because I really have overcome some things being healthier that you know I had to learn being big is not going to protect you from anything being smart being aware being of God those are the things that protect you shoot a CCW (laughs) Those are the things that protect you, okay? Not your size. Um, I also had to learn that all of those other vices, I I could drink all day. It's not going to remove the issue that I have at hand. I could smoke all day. It's not going to remove the issues that you have to deal with. When, When the drunkenness wears off, when the high comes down, when 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 you stop enjoying the rush from the distraction then you're left with the quietness the stillness of you and your thoughts and what you're going through and what you need to be doing and me coming on here every week talking to y'all about being better is not to make myself feel good cuz honestly some weeks I really don't even feel like creating no podcast and I'm gonna just keep it real Some weeks, I'd rather just do nothing. I'd rather stay in my bed, whatever the case is. 
But I get up here because I went through what I went through alone. I went through a lot of those struggles, a lot of that turmoil by myself. And there was nobody there who even knew what was going on that was there to uplift me or give me the support that I needed or pour into me the way that I'm trying to pour into y'all. There was nobody cheering on the sidelines, letting me know I got this, letting me know that if I keep going, it'll get better, letting me know how to do things differently, what things to take into account. There was no one doing that for me. I learned what I learned through trial and error and through obeying the word of God. And this is why I, I'm I'm not here to push religion off on nobody. But baby, when I tell you, I have been redeemed from the most horrific and impossible looking situations for me to be in my right mind. That alone is a miracle for me to even still be reaching towards God when there were a lot of people who were so-called of God that mishandled me. That within itself is a miracle, you know, and being to the point where I now have I'm, I have a healthier lifestyle. I have a healthier mind state. I have goals for myself. I have things that I am doing in order to better the quality of my life, the quality of my child's life, building and establishing things that are going to create me generational wealth and health. Doing all of that took a lot of looking inward, sitting still with myself, being real with myself, looking in the mirror when I even thought that I wasn't even worth looking at, you know, and I get on here every week and I pour into y'all something positive because I don't care what type of upbringing you have. What kind of beginnings you started from? What things have transpired in your life? None of that, none of that qualifies you as disqualified for the goals and dreams you have for yourself. I don't care if you never had nobody to show you. You never had nobody in your family that looks like what you envision for yourself. It does not matter. It does not matter. If I was stuck looking at everything that I went through and thought that I didn't deserve anything because of it, I would be a whole mess. And the sad thing is there are some people that have gone through similar things and do feel like a mess. They don't feel like they have it together. And that is okay. Where you start at is not what matters. How you maneuver up out of that thing is everything. And so, you know, I just wanted to give you all some sort of synopsis (laughs) on where I come from, why I do these podcasts, why I think rebranding and rebuilding yourself is so damn important. Because if we are bound to the things that we've endured, the circumstances and situations we had to overcome, if we were bound to that, can you see how that would clip off the vision for what could potentially be? And I always say, I I don't, I don't care for falling in love with potential when it comes to people. 
because you shouldn't. <laughs> it's a dangerous, slippery road. Don't fall in love with a person's potential. But what you can fall in love with is the potential for your own life. The potential for you to be greater. The potential for you to have better. Fall in love with that idea. Open up your mind. Envision a new reality for yourself. And literally lay out physically the steps to get there. I appreciate y'all for listening to me today. I'm going to go ahead and wrap it up. But I'm definitely going to be back next week with some more motivational talk. Speaking on whatever we need to speak on to get us to that next level of self-betterment. But for this week, I just wanted y'all to understand where I'm coming from, who I am, and why I do what I do. I thank y'all for y'all support, and I love y'all. I want y'all to keep on listening, and y'all have a blessed week.